Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you something, people. I was uh, watching uh, my Eagles destroy the Giants this Sunday. And the whole time on Facebook, all I saw was people writing about the Cowboys, this Cowboys, that how great the Cowboys are, you know, because they beat Seattle. And all these people who, you know, you haven't heard from in years. You even heard them talk about the Cowboys when the Cowboys have sucked, which they have in the last few years. But I got to tell you something, all Cowboys fans out there. First of all, in December, you guys are like 8 and 12. So when the bandwagon stops and you fall off and break your ankles, don't come to me calling for uh, a little sympathy. And secondly... Technically, the Eagles and the Cowboys are both five and one. Uh, we're two and on the division, so we're in first place. So I wanted to say because I just I hate Cowboys fans, and of course I have a bunch of New Yorkers here who are probably uh, I'm guessing Giants fans. Uh, we have a great show today. We have uh, we have three writers from Sci-Fi. They wrote together on season four, which was a great season, some great episodes. And they yeah. wrote the movie together, and the other se- episodes were the contest and the Virgin. We have Steve Scrovan, Bill Masters, and John Heyman. None of us are Giant fans. None none are Giant no, fans. actually, I'm a Browns fan. I'm Washington Redskins. And I just root for whoever I have in the pool. So okay. Because <laughs> you're from the D.C. I'm from D.C. originally, yeah. And you're from... Cleveland. Okay, and then you went to Yale or Harvard, one of them? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And now where are you from, John? New York. Okay, but you're not a football fan? I am a football fan. But just for Listen pools. to your guests. I'm listening. I just say for all the polls? <laughs> yes. I just pick whoever I like in the pool. I don't have a team that I root for. So all right. I just hit your mic. All right. That's all right. It's good. So it's just great to have you guys here. So it's, we, you it's know, great to be here. You've yeah. been on. Steve's been on before, and Steve and Bill were on before. Yeah, and and you couldn't make it last I time. I couldn't make it. But that's okay. I just sort my socks. That's all right. That's always good. <laughs> I so, think he was in jail. What you no. Yes. Well, I, 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 I want to finish. You guys got to tell the baseball story before we start about the, the ball with DiMaggio. Oh, well. Told, it's, it's very yes, funny. Steve was at a game with Joe DiMaggio in 1936. No, I was at a game with uh, with John and uh, another friend of ours, a comedian named John Manfrolati, and another friend of mine named Mike Duddy. They were uh, uh, John and, and Mike were Mets fans, and it was a Mets Dodgers game. And uh, towards the end of the game, a foul ball starts coming right for John Manfrolati's seat. Our, our friend John, who'd never gotten a foul ball in his life, and uh, this guy Mike, who is on his cell phone at the time talking to somebody. Everybody stands up as the balls kind of floating right to John's seat. And that he reaches across while he's still talking on his cell phone and snatches the ball right from John's grasp. And it was uh, it, it was a bloodbath but after that. The reason I'm asking that is because when you told the story earlier, you guys were just arguing. Now, was, that what it was, was that what it was like in the Seinfeld days? Did you guys just get in the, in the writing room and just not? I mean, you guys were going back and forth, back and forth. Is that how it was? And first of all, how did you guys all end up writing on Seinfeld? Larry just asked us to do it. <laughs> yeah, sort of I think it. all three of us had different uh, entries into it. I know yeah. you had written with him, as did you, I guess, back in New York. And well, stuff, we right? we all we well, all Steve knew, and I were we in all did kind of we all did stand up. So that but was Steve and I, Larry had a a bunch of sketches that didn't get on Saturday Night Live back in the eighties. Back in the eighties, and he decided to put them all together in a sketch show. And can I hit this more? Um, and it was off, off, off Broadway, you know, like in Sweden like or something like that. Yeah, a cabaret. <laughs> so yeah, back at a drugstore. It was at <laughs> Joel Gray yeah. uh, was the MC. He, he did at Caroline's uh, when they in the on original Eighth Caroline's uh, venue. Yeah, on Eighth Avenue. Avenue. So we did a bunch of us did uh, all these sketches that he had written that never got on Saturday Night Live. And Many so, of which became were kind of the germs of uh, future Seinfeld episodes. Now, now, why did it take so long for you to guys? Was season four you started writing? Was well, but season four wasn't the fourth year, really. It was really the second year. Third it's actually second, yeah. the second full se- The first year was only four episodes, I right. think. The and that was called The Seinfeld Chronicles, I yes, think. Yes, right. because there was a show called The Marshall Chronicles right. on at the same time, so they had to switch it. Which is, you know, I'm sure you know, <laughs> Seinfeld's worried about that now. I mean, Seinfeld's such a better name, I mean, than Seinfeld Chronicles. Yeah. Right, right. And my, my uh, situation was different because I had a I had writ- written a, f- a feature film, never got made, but uh, had gotten to Larry. They were going to see if he would do a rewrite of it. So even though I knew Larry a little bit from New York, he that was the f- only thing that I had written that he had read. So he kind of liked it and allowed me to come in and pitch an idea the season before. So I pitched an idea that they bought. So um, what was that idea? Uh, it was it was called the alternate side. And it was a story. Uh, it was based on a, a guy who parked cars on my block in New York. Coincidentally, Jerry had an apartment across the street, so he knew this guy. His name was Sid. And in the episode, uh, Sid goes on vacation and he gives George the job, and George screws up everything 
while they're filming a Woody Allen movie on the street and Kramer has a line, these pretzels are making me thirsty. And um, the Jerry story, which I didn't have in my script because I, I didn't know how to do any of this stuff, uh, was Jerry had a car stolen, or a rental car stolen. And um, Elaine was dating a guy who was in his 50s and he had a stroke. <laughs> and th my original idea was even though he had a stroke, he breaks up with Elaine because I thought that was funny. And Larry said, that's not funny. What's <laughs> funny is Elaine breaks up with the guy that has a stroke. Right. And then I heard later that someone was interviewing Jerry, and he said, they said, have you ever, like, been – were there any episodes you wish you didn't do? And he goes, I, I don't think we should have had Elaine break up with the guy that's stroke. <laughs> and I want to say, but Jerry, that wasn't my idea. <laughs> But uh, so anyway, then the next season, he he offered uh, the three of us and, and uh, Bob Shaw uh, jobs as uh, sort of staff writers. Now, at the time, were you guys in New York or in L.A.? Well, I was in New York. I had used to go over to Larry's apartment, <coughs> excuse me, in uh, Manhattan Plaza, and it was pretty much the setup of the show. The real Kramer, Kenny Kramer, lived across the way. Both their doors would be wide open, and Larry and I would be watching a Nick game. He'd be writing while he was watching Nick game. The real Kramer would come in in a bathrobe, go to the say, what's the score? Would, Larry wouldn't even look up. Kenny Kramer wouldn't look at him. He'd open the refrigerator, take a swig of milk. Out <laughs> so of that, that's been on the episode. So that actually happened. No, yeah. So this would happen more than, this was the norm, sort of. And we just sit there, and then he'd go, okay, shut the refrigerator and go back. So that's, I didn't know I was sitting at the... Uh, the genesis of a multi-billion dollar business <laughs> with a guy coming in and drinking milk but that's where that came from so then you, you moved out to LA it, for, well I came out to do the show yeah and then you were I was already out here and I had written a uh, spec script a Seinfeld spec script based on a sketch that I had written and uh, I got it to Larry uh, hoping maybe he would buy the idea like he bought bills and instead I get a call and he says uh, do you want a job and uh, he says he was hiring me and John and Bill and Bob. We all knew each other as comics, but he wasn't hiring us to write, per se. He was hiring us to come in and come up with premises because he wanted to do all the writing because he had the feel of the show and, and wanted to do it that way. So we were kind of this think tank experiment. And they gave us the, these, uh, they invented this term called program consultant which I think is still used now, but I think that yeah, was the first time it was, it was used. story consultants, I've seen that. It was called program consultant. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't about us writing scripts. It was about us coming up with uh, the germs of the ideas that then he would go off and write. So basically what it amounted to is putting the four of us in a room. The other writers in the show were Peter Melman, who Bill had known, and Larry Charles, and then the four of us, along with Larry and Jerry, and the four of us just would sit in a room and tell stories all day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what were your hours like? I mean, would you guys get there? Was Great it a nine to five, or was yeah. it a shorter day? Or I mean, what, what was the, well, what? it depended on if they were shooting or not. But okay. generally, it was like ten to six. Yeah, it was, now it was the best was hours that I've ever had, and I've you know we all stayed in in writing television. But it? it was a terrible lesson in how shows. None of us had worked on TV shows before. We didn't know. <clears throat> no other shows are written like that. It's one of the reasons Seinfeld was so good. It's singularity of Larry and Jerry's vision. Can you have a singularity if it's two people? I yes, you can. Uh, yeah, you yeah. can. You can. I can. Um, <clears throat> but no other shows are written that way. Maybe some have been since, but that's not the norm. So we, but we didn't know. We thought that's how. Yeah, the there was no writers' room. Okay, so basically, right. you guys, you before you would meet with Bob, you guys would meet, and then you would just start throwing ideas around, like well, you would, or just how tell we, stories mainly, and then take notes on the, you know, and, and hope that I still you know, have. By the way, would, I still have a piece of paper that has about maybe twenty pages with five or six little germs of ideas on it that we would flesh out, and then. For example, one of the things that the, Larry would come in and say he would need something. Right. And one was, we had a, we had, I can't remember who came up with it, but uh, uh, you're following somebody in a car. That was me. Okay. You follow somebody in a car. happened to me the night before. Okay. And, and so I'll let you tell the story. And, and, and anyway, that's on this list of that uh, you follow a car and it's the wrong car and, and you get lost. And, uh, and that happened to me once a while ago. I was leaving. I was leaving the ice house. I did a set, and I, yeah. I screwed up. I wasn't sure where I was supposed to get on the two ten. I'm looking for the two ten, or the, I'm looking for the one thirty four. And I right. sit there. And I go to a gas station. I go. I mean, I, I, I don't know where I am. And. 
the guy didn't know. So someone said, oh, we know where it is. And I was following the wrong car and I found myself in the middle of like Pasadena. Yeah. And finally these people pull over and I get out like an idiot. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a second, you're not the people that gave me, yeah. and they gave me directions and it's scary. I mean, for them, they're probably thinking, why is this car following oh, us yeah. like into neighborhoods and stuff like that? What happened with yours? Well, that was basically what happened to me. And then the, uh, that's all ba- I'm trying to remember the whole thing now because you had the story. Well, that was just that. That was the story of um, um, the bubble. Boy. That was a bubble boy story, which I I was the bubble boy. Excuse me, sorry. The and voice of the bubble boy. Voice yeah, no, and that, that was a great episode. And that's one. That, I mean, that, the funny thing about the season four when you guys worked on it are there some probably the most memorable episodes. I mean, there's certain things. I mean, the contest and different right. stuff like that. I mean, you, you talk to anyone about the contest. I remember when the contest came on. I was living in North Jersey. I don't know if you guys remember a comic named Ray Panetti. He was out of New York. We were friends, and he lived. I was in Nutley, and he came over. Me and my ex-wife watched it, and I recorded it. And I, I watched that show, like that that one episode, the contest, like five times. And if you talk to anyone who's a Seinfeld fan, they're like, "Oh my god, yeah, the contest." Well, that was. Uh, I, I remember when I first heard the idea. We had all gone after a couple months uh, working on the show. We had uh, we wanted to pitch some ideas to Larry, and he took us to the Daily Grill in Studio City. And uh, we were eating dinner, and then finally we, we started pitching stories. And get, getting a story past Larry, uh, especially in those years, was almost impossible. I mean, he was just very particular and very... Can I just jump in just to add to that? Yeah. Because while you're on that, <clears throat> Steve and I had a story once that we were pitching to Larry and Jerry, which was, it's always hard pitching a story to any showrunner, especially difficult, no circumstances. And I'm up there, and you really get into it, and you're got your energy up because you're really trying to sell it and I look up and Larry is doing you remember Cat's Cradle the thing with the strings he's got a Cat's Cradle and he's trying to put it on his bald head <laughs> and that's what he's focused on while I'm I'm sorry to interrupt but that <laughs> no, was that, that's like, so but but uh, uh, I think Bob Shaw uh, had some idea that had to do with uh, masturbation and Larry said, no, I'm, I've already got a uh, thing about masturbation. I was thinking about where uh, George is masturbating and his mother walks in on him and then she gets so uh, flustered she collapses and has to go to the hospital. And that was it. And, uh, you know, a few weeks later he comes up with this, he shows everybody this script and it's amazing. And uh, the amazing thing about it is he never w- mentioned the word masturbation. Right. And he came up with this phrase, a master of my domain, and all of that. And uh, we came up with some of the incidental... Well, I remember, because I, we talked about this before. Events. And I, and I don't know if you re- remember this, but... And I swear to God this happened. But Larry came in and was asking us... He said, I need an Elaine story. Because everybody's going to be doing this contest. And the question was, well, why can't Elaine be in the contest? And he was saying, well, I don't... Women don't do that. And we were arguing, and... Scro came up with the eye. He said, well, who, who do women think about it? And Scro said, John F. Kennedy no, Jr. No, that was me. Yeah, that was John. Thanks, Bill. I always right. remember it being you. So J- JFK, yeah, JFK Jr. J- that you're was the John. voice of Bubble Boy, and they all they all turn on you. That's what yeah. happened. Yeah. Well, that happened because Larry Charles came, came into the office. You would have thought it was me because um, so smart. I guess that's right. It was a, good. That's why he I had a script that, don't touch me, under any circumstances. Well, some circumstances. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I need a towel. <laughs> um, Since we're on that he, subject. He, he yeah. came, he, uh, Larry Charles came in and said that they were casting for the Bubble Boy. Supposed to be a 14-year-old kid who's a prick. And said, we can't... <laughs> and they came to John. Well, <laughs> I, well, that was it. You ruined the punchline, you dope. Because well, he, he actually said that. He said that they I'm had sorry. all these Hollywood kids come in and they couldn't do it. They just didn't have the right attitude. And he goes, I mean, frankly, I based it a little bit on you. <laughs> so would you mind coming down and reading? And I, I did it. And, of course, I could, not really difficult for me to do it because I wasn't 14. So they tweaked the voice a little bit. And um, that was it. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great part. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's part that makes the episode the yeah. voice because the moops. Everyone, well, that's, his, see that's that. Bill's story. That's, Bill's and that's story. also that really that's a true okay, story. Okay, now, I, I want to get to that. But I want to find out with the, the Elaine and the masturbation. So uh, well, that was the story. But that was a story. This, uh, it was John. And it was my fault. I thought it was Steve. But he said, "Okay." Then he left and wrote the episode with with Elaine okay. as part of the contest, which obviously is it makes it great. And I can say that that after I don't know ten years of doing half hours, where you have a table read, and then afterwards you get notes, and you always get notes. The network doesn't like this. The studio doesn't like this. Only one time. 
where everybody said it's perfect and that was the contest wow yeah, I don't recall after it got really it, the show really took off in the in our middle of our year when they put it on after cheers that's and that's right. when it really exploded the and contest I don't think they ever took any, there were no notes ever after that I don't recall or oh, they no, were, no no they always had no, they always had notes I'm telling you uh, Shaman always Glenn came Padnick. in and said something yeah. Padnick, oh the, those the, guys yeah, yeah. Meant the, yeah. No, no, no the I'm network never the had network. notes because the network it was the late night guys it was Rick, Rick Ludwin. Ludwin right and it wasn't uh, one of the uh, things that helped Seinfeld was it was originally conceived as a late night show, and then it kind of morphed into a primetime show. But it was never under the auspices of their primetime executives. Right. So the late night executives, who were much looser and and easygoing, uh, there would be after a table read, they'd come and say, "Hey, see you on Tuesday for the taping." Right. And most of the notes came from Castle Rock, which was the studio. Which, but they were also ignored by that. They were always for the ignored. most part, yeah, yeah, for the most part. But uh, it was so the contest aired when the show was still on Wednesday nights on that year, and so not a whole lot of people saw it because Seinfeld was getting his ass kicked by Home Improvement on Wednesday nights. And it wasn't until they moved to Thursday it became a top ten show, and they never looked back. But that was well after uh, you know, like right. John said, halfway through the season. So it was a very exciting year to be there. Because they won the Emmy that year, having nothing to do with us, right? But no, uh, we got little certificates. We got certificates. Did you get one in the mail like six months ago for being part of one of the yes, top? The from top WGA, 10? yeah. I think it, and it looked uh, like yeah. they mimeographed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not even a, a regular right. out of a printer like mimeograph. But we used to get stuff on. I, we used to get stuff on by accident because it was so hard to get thing. And and there was a, there's a funny story where Bill and I were pitching. I was just telling this story to somebody. Oh, oh we, yeah. Bill and I had were, were actually it, it got to the point where we felt that we really needed to kind of follow through and, and write at least outlines for scripts, not just come up with the germs of the ideas. So this is what we did. And Bill and I were working on this idea, this multifaceted idea that we had all worked out the whole story. And looking back on it, it was a, it's a good story. It just you know wasn't something Larry wanted to do. But Larry had to be sick the day we were going to pitch. And Larry never got sick. He, he he liked to consider himself the Iron Man, but he was uh, he was sick, and he was just living in a rented apartment in studio, a rented house in Studio City. So he told Bill and me to come over and pitch to him there, which we thought, oh well, this is <laughs> going to be a great circumstance. And Bill and I go there, and he's remember he's on the couch. Do you he's remember, got, first of all, we went to a we went to a, uh, a newsstand and got a bunch of like porno magazines. That's right? right. When people still had magazines in those days, this is how old we are. Right? There were still magazines. <laughs> like, we thought it'd be funny. Here, Larry. Here, here's some yeah. material to look at. And so he's lying on his couch with this little little uh, blanket over, barely covering his body. And the first thing he says is, I'm, "I'm not feeling well, so if I have to get up to the bathroom, don't think it's a reflection on what you're you know pitching." So Bill and I, we launched into the pitch, and we had it all worked out, choreographed. You'd say, you're going to do this thread, I'm going to do this thread, and we got our papers there, and we're up on our feet, and we're pitching, and, you know, we're we're like a couple of used car salesmen just selling this thing. And sure enough, Larry uh, says, "Uh, excuse me, and and he gets up, and he goes to the bathroom, and the door shuts, and Bill and I look at each other, and we go, I I think it's going pretty well, right? Yeah, yeah, I think we could get this done. And... No sooner do we say that do we hear from the bathroom. (laughs) And he just, his guts are coming out. And the door opens, and he's sort of, you know, telling himself off. He goes, "Uh, I don't know if we're going to do your show, but I think we have a scene for another show. (laughs) And that became, uh, in the uh, show within a show season, that became a scene where uh, they were pitching to the NBC the pilot, exactly. yeah, the pilot. And, and the pilot. He, got, he got sick from the food poisoning. From the food poisoning. Right. That was directly based on Bob Balaban was the guy, and playing the, the the Warren Littlefield character. But that he just directly lifted that from that experience. That's funny. You know, you know, I've noticed. I've had a bunch of people who've been on Seinfeld or written on Seinfeld or Kirby enthusiasm. When anybody ever speaks about Larry David, they always do an impression. Like they yeah, always. I, I can't. Mean, everyone, well, it's also it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, but yeah, ev- yeah. everyone. It's not like they can be talking about. Oh, I work with this Oscar winner. This and then yeah. as soon as oh, and they do that. What's Ooh. your what's your Larry? No, I have a Larry too. But I I, I gotta remember like like he came over to my house one time and he was late and. Uh, and and I, I well actually we used to have a part his his mother-in-law at the time had a little bit too much to drink at our house and she fell and she broke her kneecap 
and she had to be hospitalized. So, you know, the ambulance is coming, everything else, and Larry comes over to me and goes, she was leaving tomorrow. Tomorrow. She'd been there two weeks. She was leaving tomorrow. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, Larry. Tomorrow. That's what she was leaving. Tomorrow. (laughs) How about about your Larry? I can't. All my stories cannot be told on the radio. My good Larry Davidson. They can't. There's no way to sanitize. No. I'm trying to think that one. No. Because a lot of my stories are from him in the clubs. Okay. Because he would, he was just unbelievably in a room full of neurotics. He was, he would just, he'd say to me, "What am I doing here? I, I can't go on. What, what's the point?" What, what? Like two minutes before right. he was supposed to go on. Um, I, well, one of them, <coughs> I can tell this. I guess he gets up at Catch a Rising Star, and his first joke is something about. <clears throat> they used to have bungalows at the Jewish, uh, like in the Catskills. Right. He starts telling the joke. Halfway through it, he goes, <laughs> what's the matter with you people? You don't know what a bungalow is? You've never been to a bungalow? Why am I doing a bunch of people who don't know what a bungalow is? And he walks off the stage. Because <laughs> he didn't get an immediate reaction to the word bungalow. <laughs> I, I want to get back to the moops. Now, where did the moops oh, yeah, come from? Yeah. Well, that was another thing where we just, you know, we're in this room and we're just coming up with these different ideas and telling stories about different things that you happened You and I had choreographed that, right? The whole thing where we were supposed to switch off and then I said to you, take it, and you didn't know. That was that point. Oh, I don't right? remember that. I remember... Uh, By the way, none of us were on Seinfeld. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> one thing we should mention on this. The actual moops <laughs> thing happened uh, when I was in college playing Trivial Pursuit where the answer was a misprint and the guy was arguing and we were just laughing and it was he and his wife and it was funny and it was moops. The moors, instead of the moors. Instead of the moors, it was the moops. So, um, I, Larry's in, he's talking and I remember you sort of making me tell him because I wasn't 100% sure. I had to pitch you on your own story Because by the way, and this is another thing that I think that you tell the story, but you know, we got hired this is for... A, well, this is a bad memory. This is about the time I married Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> for for the first four... I think we were only picked up for the first four weeks. It wasn't even, like, the first four shows or something. Yeah, yeah but he had said... You, I know. You, you guys, as as, as right. the uh, con- the story consultants. Yeah, we right. were good from the beginning of June until, you know, maybe sometime in July or depending on... And wasn't it you that said that you asked Larry, Larry what we could do? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. he said... He said, "Don't." I said, "Well, how you know how how are you going to decide if you stay or?" Well, yeah. And he goes, uh, "Don't worry about it. Uh, none of you are going to get fired unless uh, I don't know you steal a sandwich or something like that." You know? <laughs> yeah, that's this frame right. of reference was <laughs> right. Yeah, take yeah, take but a bite out of a sandwich. To pitch to Larry and at, you know, I could easily see me going, "Well, it's it's the moops," and Larry leaves, and then I find out that I've been fired. So I was, you know, I, I mean, I was everyone was kind of walking on eggshells in the beginning. So. You had to get coaxed into into pitching, and then once you started the pitch, um, it, it because we're all stand ups. It was just you just kind of fall into these habits, and then we had lunch every day where it was everybody was funny. I mean, nobody was really performing, right. but everybody well, it was all comics except, right. all, except for Peter and Larry Charles was just making everybody else laugh and and trying trying your best to uh, you know to to be in the work area with these incredibly funny people. But the other thing that was great about it was because Seinfeld was not winning its time slot. Uh, it, it, it was kind of a weird place anyway. I think it was doing okay, though. No, no, it was doing – by the way. It, but it was still a cult hit. It was, it was, it was getting – you know, it was – back then it was getting the real – it was getting the, the viewers that were the – It was spending the, demo- the money. The, the demographic was perfect. Were they were unbelievable. Still, the eight was like right. the uh, 22 to 45 where they could sit there and instead of showing like a Yugo commercial, you they could show like Jews, a Mercedes. Steve. Say Jews. Oh, no, but even – but, you know, I'm Christian and I watched it. I just looked Jewish, so, you know. But, yeah, they did great demographics and, and – um, and it was a great place to work, and it, it really was. It, for me, I thought it was the best place to start. But you know about lunch? You say you never knew again. Well, you always hated just, lunch. Well, that was because of that chick. That just <laughs> yeah. Why do you hate lunch? Story. I, I want to hear that's this. A, well, okay, that's another story. But just my point was, they this put you on the spot. They threw you under the bus. So uh, they, I'll tell it in a second. But the I hated that woman. Um, the uh, we had a woman that came in and catered our lunch every day. Okay. Yeah. And she was somebody who was making food for John. Oh, but she was pretentious and didn't know what she was talking about. And I am a big food guy, and she would carry on. And I know what she was taking was 
bull blank. Every time she said sun-dried tomatoes, John. Caramelized, don't you go, and I caramelized the onions. Like, really, did you use the collider in in Switzerland to pull that off and get the photons to explode, you piece of... I remember remember the food item that was the final straw for John. It was a thing called mustard rounds, which was basically (laughs) a piece of toast. Slathered with mustard. mustard. Yeah, I made mustard <laughs> rounds. And, and by the way, this woman later tried. We, Jerry would invite people over for Super Bowl parties and rent a big room in the or suite in the uh, Oriental. What was it? Mandarin or whatever yeah. hotel. And he hired her the one time we were on it to do uh, to to cater this party. And it was it was like hot dogs and uh, yeah, hot dogs and like little pizzas or something. And I believe. She built him like eighty grand or something. Oh really? He he flew and then he fired and he he played the tape. Remember that? He this was a big thing. He had a he had taped a phone call. With, uh, can we get in trouble saying this now? No, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> what are you, he's with just, who? He's just sitting there going, "No, John it's his Heyman. show. <laughs> this show you're talking. I, 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 go so for it. You're not going to get in trouble. I'm yeah. not going to so, get in trouble. So I'm fine." <laughs> Jerry had had. had the tape of this, this phone call with this woman who was coming up with the most absurd excuses for the money. So, well, I know it was a lot of money, but I figured I'd use it to go to culinary school in France, and then my food would be better for you. And it was like, <laughs> what? Wow. And, and it turned out I was vindicated because I was right. She was a charlatan or whatever. What's a female but I think, charlatan? I think he... Charlene I, Tan. I think they hired her next next year, didn't they? They rehired her at some point, and not me, which I guess. <laughs> yeah, really I kind guess. Of the point of the story. Your mustard rounds. My mustard rounds didn't do it. Didn't but but size up. Well, we got on this because at, it happened the year after they did the show. The year after we were on. Yeah. Is that near the end of the year we had dis- someone had discovered, or maybe I, I forget who, the fat-free fro- uh, yogurt. Oh, fat-free ice cream or something it's, like that. I, I remember the place because I was right, just it was near it's, here on uh, Riverside. Paiachi's. Do you know where it's? It's at. Um, we could probably get in trouble for this. Well, uh, it, it was at, at uh, Coldwater and Riverside. Riverside. Okay. And this this yogurt was so good. We go. We couldn't believe it was fat-free. That we thought it was ice cream. Right. And we would go in there and ask the guy questions. Are you sure this is fat-free? Yeah. No fat. No fat. And. Uh, it was just we, so we talked about it at lunch. I don't. Even, I think we're talking about it seriously. It wasn't even that. Yeah, no, it wasn't part of a funny. bit. It was like let's let's bust these people because they're. I guarantee you, there's fat in this. One of us, and then we didn't think anything of it. And then the next year, there's a whole show about it. We didn't even know. I mean, well, they had it analyzed, and it was fat. Is that there true? was fat in it? Yeah. Who had it analyzed? I don't know. Pagliacci's had it. No, the they, the show. In the show, they did it. Yes, but oh, in, in the, the show. No, but I think they actually did it. Well, who? How would they do that? To analyze if there's fat in food, I think you could do that. You could probably just take it and take it to a lab yeah, for but a melt. Yeah, to what lab? <laughs> I mean, no, it's it's L.A. I mean, in the restaurant business, there's so many different. You know, I can't imagine Jerry's going over there and going, "Hey, could you test this for?" Fat <laughs> well, we, I know they had people to do that. But I think we went there and then we said to Larry and or Jerry, "You got to come and have this," and they did. And uh, but just to go back to your original, so that little bit of that. Moment is somehow was put into Larry's ear, yeah, yeah and computer, then yeah. someday he's going to use that. But again, it plays the same as your story with Bill. You never knew, and Larry would never indicate. Well, he did, I guess, in your story, that it would be. Uh, but I remember the other half of me pushing you to do the Moop story. Is he had asked us one of those questions? We need something for Kramer to do in Central Park, and Bill told, told this thing about how he had to relieve himself. Not uh, to to well. What what it was was he wants he wants Kramer to get uh, mugged, but he's in a hurry. He's in a hurry. I don't know where he's going or where he's coming from, but he's Kramer's in a hurry and he gets mugged. Yeah. Why is he in a hurry? And I said he's got to go home and take it down. Right now, but you said you didn't say that to Larry. You had said that in the room before, and I said, yeah. Bill, don't. What are you oh, doing? Oh, that's right. That's right. You told me What that. are you doing? After trying to talk you into the other one, that where I said, Bill. You're trying to you talk know, him out of this This one. is like we're at the end of our session. Yeah. And I go, you know, we don't know if we're going to be asked back next year. Don't, what are you doing with a, you know, a childish thing like that? As soon as Bill says it, like, I goes, that's it. You know, I go, okay, great. <laughs> you had no idea. I, okay. I, I, we would get things in, like, by, I would, the only way I got things in was by accident. And very early in the season, actually even before the show started uh, that season, uh, 
uh, Julia Dreyfus had was in uh, uh, had just had a baby, so she wasn't going to be there for these two summer episodes that they were going to do during the Barcelona Olympics in 1992. So they had made some excuse that she's off in Europe. And then the, her comeback episode was going to be the third episode, and the idea was that she was having an affair with her psychiatrist in Europe, and uh, that uh, he was sort of manipulating her. And as we're talking about this, I say, oh, so he's, uh, he's like a Svenjali. And Larry goes, Svenjali? Svengali. And I say, oh, did I say Svenjali? Yeah, he says Svenjali. Uh... <laughs> And that's all I that's all I remember of that. It just kind of gave me a little grief about uh, saying Svenjali. Next thing I know, in the script, Elaine is saying he's he's, he's like a Svenjali, and and Jerry says Svenjali. Did you say Svenjali? She goes, I don't know. Did I say Svenjali? Yeah. And George says, Yep, Svenjali, Svenjali, Jerry. Uh, and the, I guess the joke the joke was something like uh, he, he has kind of a cheerful hold on you. He's a Svenjali. <laughs> That's how I got stuff on. <laughs> but what are you, were you involved in the uh, Volva episode? The uh, Dolores? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because she's, she's going to be on in two weeks, the girl who played Dolores. Well, I, here's something I can't take credit for, which nobody uh, probably knows, uh, is that the only time we ever had anything resembling a writer's room was after this episode that came in from an outside writer. And uh, it one of the threads was, uh, Jerry can't remember the name of this woman he's dating. And so we were all in Larry's office. It was after the table read, and we're all going through it line by line, like it was like a regular show, which we would come to know as how most shows work. But this is the first time we'd ever done this for uh, uh, first and only, yeah, first and only, yeah. It was it was two thirds through the season and and everything, and uh, I think Larry Charles came up with the idea that he knows that it it rhymes with the female body part, and so we started pitching names based on female body parts and I think one of the first things I said was Mulva and Larry laughed at that and he kind of wrote that down and we all were pitching different things and that became like uh, this iconic uh, uh, thing Mulva Right. And, I never, never and it was just, yeah, it was just about, you know, we were just throwing stuff out. And uh, so that's one thing I can sort of accidentally take credit for. Now I know you guys wrote the script, the movie together that, that yes. episode which is funny because Kathy Ladman was on last week and yeah. she mentioned uh, Pat Buckles and I know you, you Barry Diamond's character's name was Pat Buckles but right. Pat Buckles is actually the manager at, at the improv, Kat, improv. Yeah. female and a, too and a very good friend of all because okay, yeah. Kathy Ladman didn't know that there was she was mentioned in an episode she's probably, yeah. which Kathy's doing your show right that's right we're doing a. Uh, can we take the time to mention yeah, yeah, that yeah. right now please I, I'm plugging a, a benefit I'm doing for the public interest group public citizen it's called Stand Up for Main Street. It's going to be this Sunday, October 19th at 6.30 at the WGA Theater. And we've got a great lineup. We've got Carol Liefer. We've got Dimitri Martin, Kevin Nealon, Jake Johansson, Kathy, uh, Lori Kilmartin, Wayne Fetterman, Suli McCullough. And I'll be hosting. And it's uh, to, to benefit uh, the Public Institute Public Citizen, 6.30 at the WGA Theater. And if you need tickets, go to uh, citizen.org. And click on Stand Up for Main Street. It's a it's a great show. We've done it for four years in a row now, and uh, and partly because it's in this theater setting, uh, the comics love it because they get a great reaction from a very smart audience, and the audience eats it up because it's a very good venue for comedy. You don't have to get dressed up. There's no rubber chicken. There's you know parking is easy. It's uh, you know not a lot of boring speeches. It's just a lot of fun and inspiration. What's the website again? Website is citizen.org. Click on Stand Up for Main Street and uh, 630 WJ Theater, which is in Beverly Hills, 135 South Doheny. All right. See that? But I understand Harold Lloyd dropped out. Is that correct? Well, Harold he Lloyd. Fell. He, he fell, fell on the top of the He fell out. Yes. Yeah. And again, why we weren't rehired. Because <laughs> of that kind of team. <laughs> Too much Harold Lloyd material. Too much Harold Lloyd material. Okay, no, who's Harold Lloyd? He's you don't know who Harold Lloyd is. Is he the guy who jumped off Get the, off uh, your show. The silent film. Silent silent film. Oh, Harold Lloyd. Okay, I thought you were talking about a comic. I, no, 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 no. You throw me off, John. You're, not, I, you're, you know, you're coming up. By the way, this is off topic, but uh, I was a big Philadelphia Eagles fan when I was a kid. I'll give you the names: Pete Retzlaff, Tommy McDonald, Sonny Jurgens. You don't I, even know. Do oh yeah, no, no, I'm fifty. I'm fifty. Uh, I, know, oh, okay. I know this stuff. I know. Yeah, I know. I, I think Bill Berge was the most underrated. I love Bill Berge. Bill Berge was great, and I remember they had a safety named Randy Logan, when, right. and I had a Randy Logan number forty-one jersey when they had the green. And I interviewed Mike Barilla, who played nice. quarterback at a little bar. 
my mom heard this guy. I love sports. My mom heard this guy was going to be there. So it was called Crest Tavern. It was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Yeah. And I went and I went in and I interviewed this guy and I was probably like seven or eight years old. I wrote my little interview and it was in our local newspaper, which is probably like the most wow. crappiest writing, but it was like one of those papers, you know, like the Cherry Hill News. It's like they get, who's submitting? <laughs> yeah. It's like kids and like old people are submitting. And that was my, that was my brush yeah. with the Eagles fan. Well, you said also the worst trade outside of the Herschel Walker trade. The Norm Sneed for Sonny Jurgensen trade. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Was no. the worst trade in the history of no, the NFL. No, no, it wasn't. Norm Sneed was traded from the Redskins to the Giants. No, for Sam was... Huff, and they got Sonny Jurgensen. No, you're wrong. By, from the Eagles for Norm Sneed. It was a straight up deal. Norm Sneed, Sonny Jurgensen. Really? Yes. Nice going, Redskin fan. I don't know. I have to check that out. Sam the, Huff was a different. Do you team. remember Norm? Norm Sneed. Yeah, I had, a, I had a football card of him. He's like like this. Was he an eagle or? Yeah, he was an eagle. He was an eagle. Yeah, Then it was the second worst trade. The worst trade that anybody ever made was when the when the Redskins traded uh, Ernie Davis uh, oh, for well, Bobby Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, and Ernie Davis had leukemia and he died. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. had Bobby Mitchell and went, yeah. So <laughs> that's the worst trade that. Well, it's not as bad as Herschel Walker. The Herschel Walker was like that's a 25th anniversary. I saw that thing on ESPN. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was just a joke. I mean, it's like. They, they got so many great players, yeah. and so it was crazy. But, you know, that's I'm glad you were an Eagles fan. Why were you an Eagles fan? I, you know, I don't know. I think I like the uniforms. That's, they had cool bit. uniforms yeah. back then. Yeah, they were going to go back to them, I think, for yeah. one game. John Just comes out of the club. He's, he's a lot more feminine than you would think. <laughs> I like the uniforms. He likes food. He likes food. He likes the uniforms. I like the Rams uniforms last night. That, that's how he picks his uh, uh, pool every week, right. too. No. <laughs> I like uniform. the Rams uniforms last night. See, the, the Rams, I, I like the metallic. No, thing. that's dumb, and you're 16 years old. I don't wow. know. Well, the funny thing about the e- the Eagles uniforms because all the uniforms changed companies. Yeah, the Eagles have gone this whole. They wore the all black the other night. Right. All season they've worn white because the Kelly green is an right. upgrade. It's not like let's say, you know, you think the NFL could get uniforms made overnight, but yeah. the Kelly green right. took a longer. You mean time. the old Kelly green? No, the ones yeah. they had this year. They're oh. doing a Kelly green jersey. Right. And the, with the change of companies, the Kelly green is a ultra color, and they have to take it extra long to process and make and they finally got it now in week six but it's like it's the NFL you think they could get uniforms yeah. made like at the drop of a hat I think the NFL has some other problems yeah I understand so I want to talk about the, how did you guys end up writing that script like how did, did he come it's up with Steve Steve's idea did, yeah, it was did, all Steve's did you have idea. to pitch he, that idea or did he say you guys are going to write this script we had to pitch this idea and I, th- I think it may have come off of a couple of uh, pitches that just didn't go and, and well were you eyes all when you were pitching it was you just were pitching Steve ideas. it was Steve but, were you, but when, would you pitch a story for you all to write, or I mean, how did it come? Where well, you three finally, you know, I, as I said before, we started out just supposed to come up with right. ideas, and then it became apparent that we needed to follow through some of these ideas in order to to, to flesh things out and make it real. Uh, and so we'd been pitching these things, and you know, Larry throwing up on Bill and I was another one. John and I pitched another story that almost made it, and then uh, finally, kind of out of desperation, I, I thought because you know, I, I've. I don't have a lot of dating stories because I've been with the same woman since I was 20 years old. But I did live in New York doing stand-up, and I kind of thought, okay, what's a New York thing? And the idea of meeting for a movie and all of the mishaps that could happen trying to coordinate something in New York City. Uh, And so my idea was kind of this farcical thing where people miss each other and, and all of that. And I came to these guys. I came to Bill and John. I said, "Let's let's do this together." I, I, I you know, let's at least what do we got to lose? And so we pitched this idea of them trying to meet. Just very simple, trying to meet for a movie. And uh, of all the ideas he bought, I was yeah. surprised that that was the one he bought. And uh, we wrote a script, and he it got completely some of which some of which got actually got in, got into the show, <laughs> but he you know. Here's how Larry's way of working differs. He he's very introverted. First of all, he he he's not a collaborative guy. And, and if you're not going to be collaborative, you better be brilliant. And a lot of people make the mistake of being not collaborative, and they're not brilliant, and they really do need people. Larry actually didn't. So you would kind of turn in your draft, slip it under the door, and then the next time you saw it was at the table. Well, read. Larry Charles described that as slipping when you gave the script as giving your kids up to a pogrom you know, <laughs> yeah never going to see him again yeah you wouldn't see it till the table read and, and be, be surprised that you know what did or didn't make it in i've always the wondered final draft. and no one will ever know how that worked with when larry and jerry were alone 
you know, what that process was like? Because Jerry never talks about it, and Larry never talks about well, it, and I, we don't know. All I know is that I know Larry would read the scripts to Jerry. They had desks that faced each other in one room. And uh, I know Larry would read out loud, and I think that's where Jerry would add his things is and comments. Is that how it works? I don't know. Because the only yeah. time I had any insight to anything was Larry and Jerry came out, and they called me in the office. And, All right. Which is a funnier name, Hank Bauer or Bill Scourn? And they obviously had been arguing about this for about a day. Yeah. <laughs> and here I am. Now, here's your two bosses. You, this is a classic lose-lose situation. Yeah. And I think I suggested, well, you know, I would go with Cleet Boyer, you know, or something. Yeah. First of all, even back then, it was a long, what they were referring to was a long time ago that yeah. no one would know. Yeah. But they were obviously very, they were serious and very intense, and they had come to loggerheads. Yeah. Of all the stuff in the show, it was, which was a funnier name? And I was the only one, well, except for you probably, who would know, or yeah, I guess you would I, too, yeah, yeah. as a Yankee fan, who these guys were. And they were quite serious about yeah. which one is fun. And then I would give my answer, and then they would both shrug. And I told you that. Yeah. That's the thing that got them. Yeah. But I, I'm really curious. You think that's how it worked? Well, I, I think he told me, uh, you know, one time that the, uh, Larry did that he would read aloud the scripts to Jerry. And so he would write the whole script, and Jerry wouldn't have any. Well, I don't know. I know that at least I, you have at to understand. It seems odd that writers wouldn't know this process, but those doors were locked, and we didn't know. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I didn't know what the exact. I don't think was. Jerry actually put pen to paper Ever. for for a script. I think really? he probably noted and commented and and wrote that way. Right. That's my suspicion. And I think that when you pitched to Larry, like when I pitched him the idea for the alternate side, I went off to write. It, it really didn't matter. I could have turned in 52 blank pages. You know? Right. He Once he la liked the idea. That's all he wanted. That's all he wanted. And then he was, you know, and I had quite a few of, of, of my script that made it, which I was very happy about. Uh, but there were big hunks of my that just didn't weren't even considered. Well, and one of the things because part of Larry's process is that he, and it, of course, the show is famous for this amongst other things, is having all these little stories that tied up at the end. So he would take your story. One of the things that would appeal to him, which we couldn't possibly know, is that whatever you said he go in his mind would be, oh, that ties in with the blank story I've been trying to right. get in, and therefore what you would get back is maybe one quarter of what he had in his his right. mind you were it was a jigsaw puzzle the whole process was doing a jigsaw puzzle and you might have fit one corner of the puzzle in and he would go okay that's the piece that completes the puzzle right so when you guys wrote the movie when you got the idea when yeah. you pitched it how long did you have to write your script was it a it like, didn't matter like, it was it, like a week yeah <laughs> like, we, a couple weeks week, week or two at that point we knew the process and it's not like we didn't care about it, but we knew we would argue about it, and it was again. Steve was the driving force; it was his idea originally. So, we just did whatever we could. But at that point, it would have been different if it had been the first month we were there. But at, at this point, we just went, "Well, let's just get it to him because we know it's going to be all rewritten." And we, and we got it to him when he and he rewrote it. It uh, I I wasn't crazy about it. Well, we had one. Bill had a story, uh, the Kramer story in it, that Larry didn't like, and we loved and. I think we had nothing to lose then. We really fought for it. Larry thought it was too big. Which what, was, was, what was it? Go, oh, well, that the was, car line on the car. That was based on a true story where um, it, 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 it's a long story, but I'll try to make it short. I was waiting in line at, at a bank, and a woman started screaming, He's got, uh, she, she's got my, my purse, she got my purse. So a bunch of people came outside, and there was a black woman, and we're all you know, white Upper West Siders surrounding this woman who was, I think, from Africa because she had some kind of, you know, tribal things on her faces. Yeah. And um, the woman screaming, she's got my wallet, she's got my wallet. And I felt so uncomfortable with all these white people surrounding this, this black woman in case she doesn't have her wallet. And so I'm looking for a cop and I can't find one. And everybody kind of moves out. This woman gets into a double parked car. And just because I'm out of position, they go over to where the door is. She they gets in. your hands on the radio. Oh, <laughs> but I need them. <laughs> so anyway, the woman reaches into her bag and pulls out the woman's the uh, wallet. So she did, in fact, steal it. But we're surrounding her car. And I'm thinking to myself, well, she, where's she going to go? We got, we're surrounding her car. The cops are had. Well, the woman starts the car and starts to drive away because, of course, we can't stop her. And I am right in front of the car. So she pulls forward. I have no place to go. I jump up in the air and end up on the hood. 
and she slams into the car in front of her, which would have been my legs if I hadn't jumped. She backs up, and then she just, like a bat out of hell, starts going east on 72nd Street. I am on the hood of the car. <laughs> and I'm looking through the windshield at this woman who was just, who's driving, and she's not paying attention to this bald white guy screaming at her, stop this fucking car, stop this. And she's just driving, and when we get to Columbus Avenue, she runs the red light, and I'm, I'm, and I managed to say, pull over, I'll get off. And I, she pulled over, I got off the car. And then I walked back, and when I got back to uh, Broadway, I expected, you know, some, I'm a hero here. I, I, I'm sorry I didn't get your wallet, but I was, everybody forgotten it already. The woman was talking to a cop, and I'm I'm waiting for my little parade here. Nothing, and I get back, and now the line to the the bank is twice as long. So I was just punished for all of this stuff. And you know, it's it really happened. It's a pretty interesting story, and we had Kramer do it, and, and it, it was would, the end of the story. And, and it would we be really funny. We said this is this is the other thing that was so frustrating. We were uh, Bill told us that story, told Steve and I the story, and we went, well, that's it. Yeah. That's perfect. I mean, and then how funny is Kramer on the hood right. of a car oh, going down the Jersey Turnpike? And it know. fit in with the rest of the story. I said, "Well, this is gold." Larry said, "Nah, nah, it's too big. I don't believe it." And we were just—we really stood up for it because we just went. We fought hard. You're, you're making a big mistake. And well, Steve left for a second. Right. When he comes back, the episode after that, when it was finally shown, was the Junior Mint. Right. Oh, to this right. to this day. That's right. Steve, when he comes back, you'll see when he comes back, he'll go off. He still mentions it almost every time I see him. He goes, oh, well, Bill's story was too big, but it makes sense that a junior man fell into a guy's thing. And, and he cured him of whatever the disease right. was. Right, and it was, he's, and he's right. I mean, it was, it's, but again, you don't know how Larry's mind works. I mean, why isn't Bill's story, which, and Larry would always defend things, especially, I guess, early on before we were there, uh, uh, I believe once Jason said to him, I, I just don't believe George Costanza would do that. And Larry said, oh, yeah, well, it happened to me. And that was his defensive okay. of why you would do it. And I was just telling him about Steve is back. <laughs> the, uh, that the, it was so big. Here is Larry saying, well, that would never happen. And we said, no, it did happen to Bill. And it's perfect. And it's big. No, 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 it's too big. Then we do the junior mint. Steve Scrovan. You know, I, I wonder why. why I think that bothers Steve Scrovan more <laughs> than anything in his life, including losing to Harvard. Um, we never lost to Harvard. You never me. lost to Harvard? No. You know what year Yale start, football started, by the way? Can you name it right now? Right now. Uh, 1869. 72. 1872. Yeah. All right. It's a few years off. Three years off. But how come I knew that and you didn't? I went to American University. Where I don't know. Okay. Get in. I know. I'm in D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, but Steve, right? You're still to this well, day. Well, yeah. A lot of stuff. You know, it's it's, and you find this out. Uh, you know, in the twenty some years I've been writing now, is that uh, what is big and broad or jokey is really in the eye of the beholder. And so a lot of things will be dismissed by a showrunner when they say that's right. too sitcom or that's too jokey or that's right. too broad. Unless it's theirs. And it's unless it's their idea. <laughs> and this is one of those this is my first experience with this where where Larry had said this is too big and too broad. Yeah, but Larry but the thing was we had said Larry's defense when that was thrown at him, like, well that's a ridiculous story, would be well no, it happened to me. Well we said, Well no, this did really happen right. to Bill. But there was but it's not a but rational it, thing. Right. It's it's a matter right. of uh, what taste and what he thinks is funny. And so when an episode comes in where the episode is Jerry and George. Somebody drops candy into the <laughs> open incision while they're watching an operation. Somehow, that is not too big or broad. That would happen. And so, <laughs> no, it really had nothing to do with what was big and broad. It had to do with what he thought was funny. He, the thing was, he thought that was funny. He didn't think what we were doing was funny. Uh, it actually predated the uh, real popularity of like low speed chases right because uh, that's what we had I'm going down the freeway on a low speed chase because we had seen one recently and it was a year before the whole OJ Bronco low speed chase which then he did in that season he did a parody of that in that season but 
uh, yeah, it's it's all in the eye of the beholder, and and that was. But I, what I do remember is I wasn't really uh, happy with uh, the rewrite on the on the the movie, and I remember going to Larry's office. Just me and, and Jerry was sitting there, and I was trying to explain to Larry, and I don't remember the details, but what my objections were to his interpretation of our idea. Right. And he kind of listened very patiently, kind of listened, and he, and he just said, you know. Uh, uh, I just don't agree with that, and you know. And I got up to leave, and I remember Jerry saying something like, "Because uh, I thought, oh man, I just made this whole case, and I've been defying right. the boss." And Jerry said, "You know, it's a good writer who defends his own stuff." And he 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 kind of from a guy who never wrote. <laughs> well, no, no, but who heard a lot of pitches, yeah, and yes. obviously yeah, yeah. is a great writer, and is you know right. in his, in the stand up realm. And uh, I think. Uh, that made me leave the room not just totally deflated because Jerry sort of said uh, you know that he respected my standing up for it even if it wasn't going to get done you, that way do you have a copy of that original script because I don't I know, don't think I do I don't know if I've uh, the I original thing we did I don't remember how different it was from oh it was different and also we didn't without going into it for personal reasons we did not like the casting Okay. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we, we told them we wanted this actor, Steve Heitner, to play the comic, the young comic who is, is tailing uh, Jerry. Uh, that name sounds familiar. Yeah, well, he's the guy who did it in another episode. He, okay. He ended up... They, he's Banya, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He ended up becoming Banya, but uh, we pitched him for the, the Barry Diamond part, and Larry said, well, I, I, you know, Barry Diamond was a friend of his, and he says, I, I'm going to give him the part. Um, and we said, well, it's kind of wrong because we, we wanted a little guy who was, you know, kind of up Jerry's butt, you know. It's like, hey, Jerry, hey, what do you think? And it, it would have been. And Which was way, probably one of your objections when you. And Heitner was, would have been Maybe. perfect. And yeah. he was perfect later that uh, the next season when they. But doing that same That same character. character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jerry was very, uh, Larry was very generous at uh, uh, casting people. That he knew from the well, old days. Well, he's done days. it for me. He put me in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. I was in Curb Your Enthusiasm. You were uh, in Curb. I know you were uh, the chef. No. Yes, I was yeah, okay. chef. And two episodes. I was a, a, a cop who, uh, oh, when they TP Larry's house after he doesn't give these uh, women, okay. uh, these two girls, uh, candy, I was one of the cops who um, came to answer the call. And I had known Larry well enough to know how to like be with him in a scene because right. we'd done the sketch show and everything and when you're in a scene with Larry it's not about you being funny it's about you being the, the either the wall he's going to butt up against and so I just knew I just made this choice to be this laconic cop who is just kind of listening to him and really not responding and not giving him any satisfaction and, and watching him build into a rage and it worked because well first of all I knew it worked because my being just a straight man, just taking him so seriously, cracked him up, which he never would do right. on on stage. But he just started, he would crack up because I was taking him so seriously. And I remember Cheryl Hines saying, he never does this. I don't, you know, here I was making Larry laugh by doing nothing. Right, right. Which would only be based on my experience with him. And uh, I was very proud of this myself that I wasn't cracking up. But he was the one that was cracking up. And then uh, he, uh, another comedian named Reggie McFadden was uh, the other cop, and he's got a shaved head. And Larry is, is uh, saying that uh, they wrote bald asshole on his door. And he's saying, uh, bald asshole, this, this is a hate crime. This is a hate crime. And Reggie says, uh, well, sir, you know, I have a bald head, and I don't consider that a hate crime. And he goes, uh, excuse me, uh, officer, uh, that is a fashion statement. Uh, you are not welcome in the bald community. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I finally cracked up right. and blew that line. Because that kept, you know, that and it was just funny. a brilliant line on his, improvised line on his part. But that we, was... Uh, that we have about that. five minutes left. So, uh, well, yeah. what did you guys take out? I mean, was that, was that a, I mean, what did you take out of that final season when you wrote for it? Was it just a great time? Did you have fun? Was it like every sure. day, was it going to work and just having a no, lot of fun? No, it's how get, funny a show is has nothing to do with well I'll tell you what, but it was it it was a unique experience uh, it was a lot of fun but it wasn't 
like just going in and laughing straight for eight hours if that's no but it was pretty it was it was a we lot were, of fun because oh, yeah, there were four sure. of us in a room together well it was two, oh yeah we yeah, were two were two so, and yeah. two but uh we were the social center of the show that year also because of where the offices were yeah so peter melman and larry charles when they were feeling lonely they would come, come in right. and talk to us and larry too it's a good point yeah. and yeah. and and so it was fun in the sense that uh, we had a certain amount of power because we were actually the fun guys, uh, you know, because we were, we were telling stories and we had the least amount of pressure on us. And uh, yeah, it but was a great. I felt like I was auditing a master class. Yeah, yeah. And but one other thing that happened to, to Steve and I is that we, we both had children that, that year. Yeah. So that sort of, you know, my uh, I had twins born in December and and. And I had my daughter, daughter born, born in January. January. No, so fe- late February. February. Yeah, so early February. We were. Now, this is before gay marriage right. you know, was recognized. Exactly. Yes. That's a, what made it so special. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that it, it, there was a. I got to say, all the years that I that I spent in, on different TV shows, um, I, I the the Seinfeld experience was so much fun because it was oddly enough, and and Larry's not a nurturing guy necessarily, yeah. but there was a nurturing process that just happened because of the way he did things and even though I haven't had the experience of my own show the one thing I take from Larry is the relationship he has with his star and the truth that he that he insisted on which made it so much funnier so exactly and and I I learned so much from that show and that was you know first writing job and how he could take a tiny little idea and 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 blow it up into a show and, and the, the one I remember is when he came in one day and said uh, here I'm going to do his voice again uh, every day I park next to this handicap spot and uh, I always wonder what would happen if I parked in that spot and just from that little question right. that little what if he was able to do what, what Larry and Jerry called surf on the premise okay so you so you park in the spot so usually think of what's the worst thing that could happen well the worst thing that happens is a handicapped person gets hurt because you're in their spot so he then devises a scenario where the gang right parks in a spot it's on a a, the handicapped person has to park on a hill she gets in a wheelchair (laughs) boom okay what happens when she gets hurt they feel bad they've got a visitor in the hospital and on the one hand kramer falls in love on the other hand they've got to buy her a new wheelchair so that you have a scene where kramer falls in love and then a scene where they're buying a wheelchair and you just see how one thing just boom adds on to another right where he takes this tiny little what if and makes a story out of it, and that's that's the main thing that I learned from which him. Which is, uh, by the way, when they say it's a show about nothing, I think is inaccurate for oh, that yeah. reason. Right. It's about things. The best description I ever heard, and I don't know if it was Larry who said it or not, that their idea was to show what happens when you're watching a movie in between the action sequences. Yeah. What goes on with the characters in right. a movie that you don't see, like they're going to the bathroom. Well, you never see that. You never see them sleeping. Right. You never see them buying a pack of gum in a movie. So that's what the show is about. I that's haven't heard that. That's stuff. a great description. That's the yeah. other stuff. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming by. Steve, uh, give your uh, give your info yeah. again. Cause Stand up for Main Street, October 19th, this coming Sunday. You can Sunday. do it slower. It's all right. So we're not so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is not like democracy. No, Amy Goodman says, you got 30 seconds left. Get out of here. Sunday, October. 19th. <laughs> Stand up for Main Street. It's a benefit for, for Public Citizen, the legendary public interest group that's responsible for uh, uh, airbags and getting 24 dangerous drugs off the market. And it's the reason we know about toxic shock syndrome and red dye number two. And it's it's this uh, the big campaign now is, is trying to limit politics. Okay. Uh, trying to limit politics. Trying to limit money nice in politics uh, uh, to overturn Citizens United. So. 6.30, WGA Theater, Demetri Martin, Kevin Nealon, Carol Liefer, Kathy Ladman, Laurie Kilmartin, Jake Johansson, Suli McCullough, Wayne Fetterman. It's just a real murderer's row of comedy. Um, and the website? www.citizen.org. Click on Stand Up for Main Street. Yeah, people, check it out, okay? Also, uh, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Definitely check that out. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 300 episodes up there, so you can listen to a lot of... Uh, past episodes you can find bill and steve's past episode and i think steve's been on the show twice i think and uh, check them out also if you go to itunes or stitcher type in one word cooper talk you can find that if you have an android tablet or phone go to the google play store type in cooper talk and you get my app also send me an email cooper at coopertalk.net that's my new in in, uh email it's so basic cooper cooper talk.net it's, I, there's a lot of redundancy of cooper talk. very very heavy on cooper exactly and if you're in new york go to cooperstown 
<laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. So yeah, check it out, people. Also, uh, every Tuesday, I host Crappy Comedy at Jimmy's Place, 9 o'clock showtime, Dollar Tacos, right there on San Fernando Boulevard in Burbank. So come out. It's only an hour show. It's free. It's fun. That's all I can say. Anyway, keep listening. Uh, remember, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, be healthy. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.